Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rule the Roost podcast. I'm your host Tatrunk and I'm joined this week by the returning man, the returning legend, that is Mr. Raj Baines. How are you doing Raj? I know several people that would disagree with that um, introduction, um, but I'm, I'm very well, thank you. We I don't enjoyed. listen to their opinions, mate. <laughs> I, um, they'll probably say the same for me. Um, I'd, um, no, no, I had a really good time, really good a couple of weeks off. Um, Where you did know, you go? Guantanamo Bay, if I'm listening to the podcast, according to you and Seb. Um, but no, I was, in, uh, I was in Orlando, Florida, going to all the, the parks. Not SeaWorld, obviously, fuck SeaWorld. Um, but oh, Disneyland and yeah, Disneyland and uh, and uh, what's the other one called? Universal Studios. Yeah, we did all that sort of business and went to some shopping centres and whatnot, and just had a couple of weeks off as a, as a family. So it was um, yeah, it's very pleasant. Um, I was very happy to go before you know Trump gets in, and I'm not allowed through the border anymore. <laughs> but it was uh, not as it's entirely enjoyable. Um, went to an MLS match as well, which was an experience. Um, but not happy to be back, happy to be doing this again. I got some a little bit of FOMO listening to the podcast between you two. Um, and I, Especially when you said towards the end of the last one, um, tried to make a reference about Dexter and it went straight over Seb's head. I felt my heart broke a little bit. Did you hear when he asked me if, if I meant Dexter's laboratory? Yeah. yeah. Think, you know, it's just, it's, it's, just you know, it's, what, it's what I had to work with. Raj, I mean, like, I'm impressed of him knowing Dexter's lab because... It, uh, it was that sort of was that still on when you two were kids? Because I know it was yeah. big when I were a kid. I reckon so. Probably just like tail end. So I reckon it probably hit this hit hit television when I was probably about eleven, twelve. I guess maybe. Seb was definitely man dark when he was a kid. <laughs> if we're being honest. Um, but no, no, I'm I'm very happy to be home. I, I get a bit homesick if I'm away from Yorkshire for more than a fortnight. I know it sounds a bit pathetic and a little bit Brexit, but no, I, I just, you it know... It does the, sound a little bit Brexit. A little but bit. It, no, it's just the weather and stuff. I get a little... Because you know how particular I am on sort of stuff like that. I just get a bit um, antsy to come home after a couple of weeks. I do very much enjoy going on holiday. It's just coming home is probably my favourite part um, especially when Christ, it's cold mate, you're, you're seriously joining old miserable old bastard club already mate I, I've like, always been like this my entire life like um, that's, that's, that is genuinely one of my peak like one of my dad's peak phrases like the best bit about an holiday is coming home I'm <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I'm a, yeah I think I'm a, but at the end of the day when you're on holiday you just you, you want an easy life don't you yeah your mind's on the if, especially when you go on holiday to America your mind's on the chips already isn't it really like, <laughs> yeah it, you know 
Refill- no. Refillable fries. Yes, mate. I'm in, I'm in on that. Uh, the, yeah, they've got bottomless drinks and uh, bought a massive tub of ice cream that took me a fortnight to finish and uh, and all sorts. My, my biggest guilty pleasure was um, we had um, the TV because we stayed in a villa, so it wasn't as if we had basic TV, we had proper TV with everything on. So I'd spend all night watching just channels and shit that we don't get here. So and like most evenings, once everyone else had gone to bed, I'd be up until like one and two watching... Um, hardwood classics on uh, the NBA channel and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. That's what I always find about America whenever I go there. It's just like, it's just a big sea of dopamine, isn't it? You know, like everything there is just geared towards just making you smile on a kind of artificial level in a way. I know that sounds quite cynical, but it's uh, there's lots Especially of very nice things like in Orlando. America as well. Don't get me wrong, American listeners. I do. No, I'm not I saying think it in a nasty way. I just mean that there's there's... As a British person, when you're when you're coming from a land where there's like heavily regulated, tiny little bags of crisps or ch- chips, as you would call them, um, and then you walk in and you can pretty much buy a bag that's half the size of your person, it, it can be overwhelming, but not a bad thing. Yeah, they've got. There's all sorts of things like um, the, we went to Starbucks one day just because that was the only coffee shop in this um, mall thing we went to. Their biggest cup's like three times the size of our biggest cup, and there's just because, as you say, because there are rules and regulations about how big and shit you can make stuff here. They, they don't exist there, so they've, they've just got outrageously large amounts of things, which is hilarious. Drink um, up that freedom, mate. Drink up that freedom. <laughs> I actually did because I bought a case of Budweiser while I was there for the villa and they've got the bloody national anthem on front. It says America, land of the free, home of the brave and they've printed like the first few bars of the uh, Star Spangled Banner on the uh, on the bottle. Um, it's, it's one of those things that like I'd love to take the piss out of but then like we do have certain products that are like stamped with the Queen's seal of approval and stuff on them, don't we? So we we kind of, you know, we're not that much better on that respect, are we? I guess. No. Everyone's got their own bit of national pride. So there's nothing wrong with national pride to an extent, but it's just keeping yourself checks and balances into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Right, fuck all that anyway. Fuck nationalism. Fuck it. Fuck nationalism. Yeah, Uh, I'm back. That's that's the the main point. You you and Seb can be saved from wallowing in each other's misery. I think he's needed a week off after, I mean, two weeks of you straight. He's just gone to sort of hide and recover. I don't know. He's, I think he's done himself a mischief all these trips to London. He's uh, he's tied himself out. But um, we played Liverpool on the weekend. Um, did you get a Did you get a chance to catch much of it, mate? I did. I woke up. Uh, it was the day day I flew, so. Um we didn't have to leave until sort of uh, 10, 11, um, and it kicked off at half seven in the morning. So I got up for that and, and watched it on NBC Sports. I wasn't too impressed with the. I wasn't. I, I wasn't impressed with the performance. I think, like, just to to clarify, um, to me, a performance like that and that game in particular is a reason why Liverpool won't win the league. That that's that was Liverpool to a T. Like, I feel that Spurs were there for the taking. I feel that Liverpool brought a much better game to the occasion, if you like, um, and yet they still couldn't beat us, even though we were, as you know, what I would say we've seen off Spurs, we were pretty terrible, um, and Liverpool were all right, but they couldn't break us down really. Um, I was, I, uh, 
I was concerned by a good few performances, um, especially in the in in the attacking third from our team, um, namely Kane. Who, you know, I think if we're going to call out other players, I think it's Harry deserves to be called out when he deserves it. And Kane was awful; he was absolutely appalling. Um, Ericsson was appalling. Lamella was pretty poor. Um, I, I, Ali was, I, I don't know, it's split opinion. I don't think Ali was. I think Ali grew into the game, um, but he wasn't at his best still. Uh, it just seemed like there was something missing. I think I think the, the main thing I thought about the game, mate, as I was watching it, is that it, 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 that kind of same verve, that same pressing, that same kind of determination that seemed to be like a hallmark of our season last year was was just not there. It... it, it, it it didn't seem like anyone was working for one another. No one was really kind of moving into that space, providing options, uh, looking for like the, you know, the extra pass or I, I don't know. It just, it wasn't there for me. It was disjointed. Um, I don't really want to buy into conspiracy theories about people not being paid enough or so on and so forth, <laughs> but it, it still wasn't particularly encouraging. I didn't feel, um, what did you make of it? Um, it was the first 90 minutes I got to watch all year, um, I think. Uh, yeah, probably, yeah. Um, and it, it, obviously that start wasn't great. The first half was, was fairly terrible. Um, and you're right to point to the players that you do point to. Um, one of the things that I wasn't as enamoured with as, as others appear to have been is this relationship between Janssen and Kane. Because um, Kyle Walker went off because he's got a tummy bug or something, um, which you know, 15 minutes into a game, you wonder why did he start if he's going to have to be hauled off to take a shit 10 minutes in. But you know, then it happened, I guess. Um, but you, you, we made the shift then to put Dyer at right back and um, and bring Janssen on top. And we did good things about it happening late on in Everton, and then they obviously started together against Palace. Uh, we won that game, but it, you know, perhaps it wasn't due to that partnership working. I'm not entirely sure I didn't see the game, but seeing it for the first time in person, I, uh, th- I know it sounds very basic and it's probably something that people say on Twitter that maybe would laugh at because it is so basic, but if you've got a lad who's your top scorer for the past two seasons, the Premier League's top scorer last year, why why move him? If, if it ain't break, if it ain't broke, don't try and fix it, essentially. Um, I, I understand the thinking behind it. I appreciate sort of what Pochettino sees in both players. And I have been really impressed with the work rate and, and sort of Janssen's ability off the ball and to get into position and use his giant arse to bounce people out of the way while he's on it. He almost reminds me of a prop forward when he gets ball because his back's facing the wrong way every time. Isn't, I don't think I've ever seen him collect a pass and run onto it to go forwards. He's constantly taking a touch and turning his back to goal. It um, seems like his default setting. Um but I, I, I understand why that happens late on into a game. If we're chasing it, obviously bring on a, a second striker and somebody else to put the ball into the back of the net. It makes perfect sense. But um, I don't want that to be our plan here, especially with, I'm sure we'll get onto this, but last season, one of our biggest worries was if anything happens to Harry Kane, then we've got no cover. <laughs> so if this season we start playing Harry Kane together with another striker, we still have no cover because they're both on the pitch at the same time. We're not resting Harry Kane. We're not, he's not feeling any benefit of the other striker being there because he's playing at the same time with him. It's, it's got to be one or the other um, for me 
personally because I think it just it makes far more sense. Harry Kane has obviously got the ability and the class to play anywhere across that front four. Um, ideally in one of the central roles, but he's still the best striker we've got at the club, so I'd like him to please be playing up front as the striker if possible. It's uh, Yeah, it is an interesting one, isn't it? I, I'm a big... I've been very encouraged by Janssen so far. I think. Well, oh, completely. I don't oh, yeah, I'm, I'm away from him. No, no, I know. I know you're not having a knock at him. I've been very encouraged by his performances so far. I think one thing I will notice, and this is no, you know, this isn't no criticism of the lad. It's quite obvious that he's not up to the Pochettino level of fitness yet. I, I, I anticipate that next season he'll be a lot trimmer. Um, I think he'll be a lot fitter, and I think he'll be—he'll—he'll he'll seemingly have a lot more energy. Um, and uh, energy is probably the wrong term because he—he—he he, he does run around a lot. He does put it about, and that's what I really like about him. He seems to have really bought into the kind of the the Spurs thing, I guess—the harrying, the pressing. He gets stuck in right, um, but I do—I do agree with you, and I, I think. For all the plaudits that Kane rightly deserves, you know, I, I absolutely love the lad, and I'm not, I'm not being knee-jerk. I'm not laying into him off of the back of a poor performance. It's more just a, an ongoing thing that I think a lot of people have noticed, is that when things don't go well for Kane in a game, um, when he starts to kind of, I guess, panic a bit, his default setting seems to always be to drop back, which is which is always, I find, quite counterproductive. When you need him further up the pitch, when you need him to kind of get you a goal, to be someone on the end of a Lamella pass or so on and so forth, you often find that he's the guy that's dropped back and started the move that, you know, will ultimately come to nothing because there's no one up there to play it into. Um, And I, I don't know if this is some kind of move in that respect to kind of you know, just let him build up his confidence again a bit. I think maybe, you know, it's speculation, obviously, but for all we know, the Euros' experience has kind of maybe knocked his confidence a bit. Pochettino's trying to manage that, but I definitely agree with you. I think, you know, we've seen what Kane can do. He is an established Premier League striker now. He's one of the best strikers in the Premier League. Um, I don't think we need to caveat that at all anymore. Um, probably one of the best strikers in Europe, to be honest. And I agree with you that by by dropping him back, I I don't buy. I I know a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, he made his bones as a kind of number ten as I just I just don't buy that anymore. The the guy's a striker for me, you know. And I agree with you. We should just stick him up front. Um, I, I I'm just never that fond of seeing him drop back. I think if if we're really that concerned about our kind of options in that, you know, that whatever what would you call it? Is it the second band of attack? I don't know. Whatever term it is, that that band of attack behind the front man, I'd rather see someone like, you know, Marcus Edwards get get pulled up now, um, which probably seems like he's on the verge of, of getting. I think there's a bit of a power play going on between him and Pochettino there, Pochettino letting him know who's boss. But ultimately, I think we're going to see Marcus Edwards deployed. Um, I just, do you know what, mate? I, and it is, it's, it's base, Right, it's it's very very base, uh, but I think the most glaringly obvious thing about that performance against Liverpool essentially was that we are lacking pace. We really are lacking. I think we're desperate 
for some pace. I think I, I don't think it's going to be like this is a catastrophe if we don't add pace to our squad that you know we're going to somehow completely disappear and this is the end of the Pochettino project. But I'm talking about if we want to kick on, if we want to stay competitive, if we want to you know try and match the heroics, if you like, of last year. I do think we need that extra dimension because I I, I feel that teams are probably going to start to wise up to the way we play. I, I mean, like we've looked a shell of our side last that we were last year without Dembele, for example. I think um, these slow starts have been happening under Pochettino, though, don't it? Is it yeah, is it's yeah. almost as if if it, if it keeps happening, maybe it is just a case that this style of football and, and this squad maybe just need a bit of a run-up. I mean, you, you mentioned Kane's poor start. He's never scored in August before. It's I mean, bizarre, last, that, isn't it? Obviously, the, the season before last, he, he wasn't really in the squad at that point, but the season after, when obviously the whole one-season wonder thing came out and sort of bit everyone that had bought into it into the in, in the backside, um, he, he was a slow starter. Maybe this is... Just something that's indicative of, of how he gets going. He needs a bit of a run up at it. I mean, it's it's a flaw, but it's one that you can live with. If you know that it's going to happen, you can almost go, okay, it's, it, he he can't find his form straight away. He needs to get his eye in. But once he does, we're up and away. There there are some players that just need to play themselves into form, and it's it, it happens enough across the board and enough in in most sports that it's you can't isolate him and blame him too much for it because to play at that high of a level then then maybe you do need to sort of ease yourself into it you can't really be expected to to be going from zero to 100 in in one game every time um but you know maybe maybe that's been me being too easy on him I'm not sure I think around the and don't laugh but around the 69 minute mark <laughs> I was sat there I was watching it and I, I just kind of I felt that I, I totally get that he was limited so on and so forth but it was around that point of the game the game was kind of stagnating a bit Liverpool looked like they didn't really they they kind of looked shot for ideas and we kind of looked like we were just not really going to break through um, that was a pleasing aspect of it I mean you, you touched on it before but it was if we were to sort of switch perspectives and almost look at that from a Liverpool point of view then they've got a very good record against us in the past few seasons and the fact that they played really well and you know when they played that same level against Arsenal for example they scored four goals but against us they only managed to to get the one from a penalty it wasn't as if they broke us down in open play and um, and they, they couldn't build on that they couldn't beat us no. it's almost it's almost some things that used to happen to us when you know, sort of Martin Yoli at a time, we would often go to these bigger sides and play very well and, and give a good account of ourselves. But, you know, you can count on one hand the amount of times we've won just because we didn't have that next gear to do. And it was always frustrating to come away from, you know, Old Trafford or Stamford Bridge with a draw rather than the win that maybe we deserved. And um, to be on the other side of that is is, is an interesting um, turn in fortunes. It is. I, I would like to see us kind of start to turn that corner where we can be the team that capitalises on those performances. And I, I kind of feel that that was what was missing at times last year. And I think that's where we need to kick on. I think it's great. I, I definitely agree with you. And, you know, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to criticise the team for not losing to, a, you know, a handy Liverpool side, because they are. Um, but I, I would like to see us start to capitalise. And, we, you know, we did it a few times last year. We, You know, that City stands out for me, City away stands out as a particular time in which we, we, we did capitalise. And 
against a few of the, the smaller teams. Um, but I was going to say, though, I, I would have liked to have seen a player like Townsend come on, even though he is he's limited. It's just it's that pace, it's the directness that I feel can free up some more of our players like Kane, like Janssen in the centre. Um because yeah. yeah, it'll it'll draw people away. And you know, if, if we'll talk more about transfers or alleged transfers in the second half, but you know, someone like Zaha, for example, you know, <coughs> perhaps that's what they can provide. Who knows? Um, I feel like we're going to have an interesting conversation about that one, mate. From your reaction there. <laughs> um, let's. Uh, oh, one one quick uh, one quick shout out I wanted to give as well was to Josh Onoma because again, he he's someone that's very much. I don't know, divided opinion, I guess. Um, I thought his cameo was was pretty decent, personally. I thought, considering he'd only had... Well, I think he came on for the last 10 minutes. Um, I think he, he carried the ball very well. I think he was always looking to play it forwards. I think he was pretty direct in everything that he was doing. Um, I think... I. I I think there's a decent player there. I think uh, yeah. it looks like he's going to he's going to be featured. I mean, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, he, he's a bit Bambi on ice and so on and so forth. But yeah, he's a young lad still, you know, and I, I think it's something he's going to learn. But to me, the the signs are encouraging. And he is going to be someone I think we're going to see a lot more of this year. Um, and I, I, I likened him to, afterwards on Twitter, I called him a baby Dembele. Because that's that's kind of what I could see him doing. He he, he had that sort of air about him. I think we, we've tried to play him on the wing a bit, but... I, I, I'm not 100% that's his that's his position. He just he seems to be quite quite hard to tackle. He's, Doesn't he play centre mid for the uh for the England youth? I believe so, yeah. Um and I think he's got a good range of passing as well. I think he reads the game pretty well. Um I think he, he I think he's very much uh in the same way that you would probably say about Dembélé is that their effect is almost quite understated in a way because Dembélé you know he, he's not always popping up with assists, he's not always popping up with with goals, so in that kind of raw statistical kind of look, you'd think, you know, whatever. But when you actually watch Dembele, I and mean, you watch the team with and without Dembele, you see how important he is to us now. Um, and I'm not by any means saying that that's Josh Onoma yet, but I almost feel that that's kind of what we should be looking to cultivate him into because I feel, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I don't want us to set this bar that the only young players that are of any worth are ones that can come on who have, you know, lightning pace or can score goals or can, you know, provide assists because I just think it's it's a very, you know, it's a very narrow view of w- what makes up a team, you know. Um, and I think Dembele is a prime example of that. Uh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, was, I completely I was, agree. I was, I was really encouraged by Josh. I think he's, I think he's a good player. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, he he had that strange onoma role almost last season where he would be brought on late into game, similarly as he was done on the weekend. Um, so I'd like him, him to have that role maybe expanded a little bit in the early rounds at the Callum Cup. What have we got, Gillingham at home? I think so. Yes, I'm yeah. That, yeah. If I mean, if that's not an invitation, I don't, no disrespect to Gillingham. <laughs> Maybe I don't really care, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Sorry, any listeners in Gillingham? Yeah, apologies. Um, uh, yeah, if that's not an invitation to start the likes of Onomer and uh, Marcus Edwards and whatnot, then I'm not sure what is. I agree. Right, um, we're going to have a small break now. Um, we are approaching transfer deadline day, and as you know, it's a time where people get. 
pretty hysterical, pretty excited. Will um, this podcast actually come out on transfer deadline day? It, it might do, yeah, or, well, slightly just before. So, you know, you'll probably all be melting down now. And no, no, it's huh? the 30th today, right? Yeah, yeah, so it will be. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. It will come out. I thought I was going mad. London. I genuinely thought I was going mad until no, I was right and you were wrong. I just wanted to make sure people as, know. As per usual. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you'll um, you'll no doubt will be melting down and having a go at the pretty worthy target of the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust. Cause as we know who, who really are the people behind all the transfers that we make. That's it. So what we're going to do now is speak to Kat and to Martin from the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, where they can basically try and make some excuses as to why they're you know not to blame for our shambolic transfer window. Right, welcome back to Rule the Rich podcast. Katrina Law and Martin Cloak. I'm not sure you haven't you haven't been on before, have you, Martin? I, I haven't. Have no, have, first yeah. time. So hello, everybody. Which is amazing because he's a complete podcast tart. So <laughs> That's probably the best introduction we've ever had, really, <laughs> and um, that will never be forgotten. Thanks. You're both in surprisingly good spirits, considering I actually reneged on my promise of bringing biscuits, which well, we, were gonna, we, were gonna, yeah, we were going to call this off, obviously, because you know, no biscuits, no party, basically. We were discussing last night, actually, having a trust biscuit of the month. Um, I think we're going to take in nominations, maybe, and do that in our monthly newsletter. So I'm pushing hard for chocolate digestives for September. You can do a Twitter poll and everything Could do. as well. Could do. Our favourite platform, Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't want your opinion of all, the, of all, no. of all that lot, you know. So. Your chocolate digestives do not represent me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it is, it's transfer deadline day. It is. This is usually a time that we see a lot of vitriol come your way. Have you had, have you had much so far? Um, to be fair, not, not much this year. I think uh, possibly the... That the message has got across. I mean, we'll see what happens uh, tomorrow. Transfer deadline day is still live at the moment, and Sky's still making a big thing of it as well. So um, things could be unfolding, and they, they might not be. But uh, I, I think the tricky thing with, with this is that it's, it's it's fairly obvious that if you're a football fan, the thing you most important, the thing you think is most important, and the thing you're most interested in is what happens on the pitch. So of course, people are going to be interested in who we're signing, the squad strength, and whatever. Um, but as a trust, we don't really do on field. Uh, and I think, and I think it's uh, you know, certainly the view of the board and seems to be most of our members, that that's the way it should be. Um, we deal with things that directly affect the fans, like ticketing and travel and you know representation and all the rest of it. But actually, there are professionals at the club that are there to sign players or whatever. And actually, you know, you could take any group of five Tottenham fans and they'll all have five different opinions about who we should sign goes on. I think possibly what our job is to do is, is that if there is a concern about whether the club are not showing enough ambition, we're not strengthening the squad, and we'll see what happens after today, uh, or you know, we're tomorrow on that. Then that's something we would say. Well, that's the feeling of the fans, and we want uh, we would push the club for an explanation. Part of the problem with really, any explanation they give is, is that if people have decided that they don't believe what they're saying, or they should have spent more money, and that's it, then it's not really going to change their mind as well. And I think that's where we've kind of been involved in, in, in arguments before. People said, well, what are you going to do about it? And we said, well, actually, on that, there's not a huge amount we can do about it. All we can do is ask the club to explain as fully as possible. But then, you know, we did push a couple of years ago when there was a feeling that there hadn't been a bit of ambition shown. And a few people said, well, you know, you made yourself look a bit silly by asking that because what are the club going to tell you? Actually, we're not going to get the inside deal 
on you know what wages so and so asked for, what cut the agent was going to take, or whatever. So it, it's a little bit of a bouncing act. Of course, it's something that the fans are interested in, so we need to be able to make sure they get information. But any more than that, you know, we certainly don't have any influence, and and arguably nor, nor should we. Do you think there's potentially like a, a misconception whereby people feel that the club have would for some reason operate on a on a maximum clarity basis with you guys, like? So, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that the club, with matters such as transfers, so on and so forth, they're still very conscious of the fact that you guys are a mouthpiece of the fans, if you like, um, and thus they're not going to you know, divulge everything to you. And I, I, yeah. I feel that maybe, perhaps sometimes... You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think every aspect of work that we as a trust cover is about us being able to input into some genuine consultation. So there being a reason for us involved in those discussions, because there's something constructive that we can bring to the table. And as Martin's just alluded to, in a transfer situation, there is not really that much constructive we can bring to the table. So they don't talk to us at all about the transfer window, and we don't ask any questions about the transfer window. Having said that, I was on the phone to a senior member of staff earlier this afternoon, and the official club line as of about five o'clock was... Maurizio wanted a striker, a midfielder and a winger. And by the end of today, he will have all three, as we probably now know. Wanyama Janssen and... Yay! There you go. But that's as much as we get, and I wouldn't ask. I think it completely undermines our position, you know, as as trust representatives, if we're going to be picking up the phone to members of the board and asking them for insights, you know, ITK on on transfer rumours, it's not what we do. So we need to make sure that we stay credible and we limit ourselves to the stuff that we can actually have a positive effect on. Football is a bit odd like that because uh, you know the sort of whether people are going to tell you the true story or not is is well what people can decide they they believe and I was reminded of it again the other day when in the run up to the Liverpool game Klopp had said um, Coutinho's injured uh, and he obviously wasn't and that that's 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 a clever bit of management that isn't it because you kind of lull the opposition to a full sense of security by saying one of your players is injured and then you play them but I seem to remember when Hoddle did that when he was the England manager a large section of press said that made him a total git because he was telling lies. Uh, and I always thought, well, why are you going to tell the opposition <laughs> what your team's going to be in advance? You know, but it wasn't the right thing. So you had an example there of people deciding for whatever reasons, and there's a whole complicated story around that Hodder was a git. So therefore, anything he does makes him a git. There are people that think that the people that run our club are a bunch of tight gits that haven't really got any ambition. There are other people that take a more measured approach, and there are other people still that think everything they do is brilliant. Uh, and probably most of those people aren't going to have their mind changed unless we sign the entire kind of Real Madrid team and then got Barcelona as a reserve team. And even then, there'd probably be a bit of an issue, you know, because they hadn't signed enough English players or something. So, uh, you know, people kind of have made up their mind in advance, really, haven't they, a lot of the time? It's almost like people are just awful in general, isn't it, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Could it possibly yeah. come I, I, it's, Yeah, it's me. You make sound like some kind of sociopath yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, you know, right, so obviously you guys, you're not responsible for players that we may or may not Fine, but uh, only the good ones. Well, yeah, yeah, that's uh, success story, isn't it? Yeah. So the players that we sell, so you're you're taking responsibility for that one then, right? And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going this far. I've Got dug, rid. I've dug myself in here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in terms of the stuff that, that the trust do have control over, a lot of it is uh, we're seeing it manifest at Wembley at the moment, or is going to be at Wembley. Yeah, so so Wembley is going to be an, interest, an interesting experience for club and players and, and fans alike. Um, we've now got about two weeks lead time into the Monaco game, and that's going to be our first experience of playing a home match at Wembley Stadium. 
Now, I think it's, it's, it's beyond a stretch of imagination to think you're going to walk in there and it's going to feel like White Hart Lane because it isn't. It's almost three times the size. So it's 90,000 capacity as opposed to 36T. So much, much, much bigger. It's obviously red, which, is, red which is a big issue because as much as a club would love to replace all the 90,000 seats, that isn't possible. So we've <laughs> got to try and counteract that as well. So it's, go it's going to feel very differently for size and, and look. Um, the club are at the moment exploring what they can do in terms of branding to make it kind of feel a little bit more like White Hart Lane. But obviously they're limited by UEFA regulations for Champions League. If you remember the Europa League ties at White Hart Lane and previously Champions League ones, the UEFA will kind of cover all our balconies and all our tiers in their own you know, branding and whatever else. So we need to find out from UEFA what we're actually allowed to do. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. The second thing is that I think Billy Joel has got a concert there on the Saturday. <laughs> and whoever his organisers are, I'm going to say it's Live Nation, I'm not sure if it is, don't hand the stadium back to Wembley until Monday. And we play on Wednesday. So whatever the club can do is going to be a mad rush job because they're really against the clock here. So they've been in negotiations, fairly hard negotiations, because it's, it's their wish as well to try and make it feel as much like home as possible. The only way they can really do that, apart from selling us the, the seats and getting their own fans in there and putting their own team out on the pitch, is by using visuals. So flags and banners and surfers and, and whatever else, that kind of thing. So they've been talking to Wembley in some detail about what they can actually do within that stadium. Wembley has some fairly strict regulations that are on their website, um, which have been causing some issues. But I think that they've now got to a position where the club at least know what they can do. So the club will be doing something for that Monaco game. I'm not at liberty to reveal what it is. That's their announcement and it will be going out. But there will be something that the club are doing officially. So that's there. Alongside that, and where we get involved, is we're big believers that the atmosphere should really come from grassroots fans. So it should be something that's organic, that's natural, that feels like it's embedded in a Tottenham tradition. So we've always been encouraging a fan groups who want to get off their arses and organise their own displays. So there's a bunch of lads who go under the Twitter handle of at Tottenham AMF, and they have been crowdfunding. Uh, they're trying to raise £1,000 to get 50 handheld waivers which is basically flags on poles for everyone else. They're called waivers. And to get a large fixed banner to go on one of the tiers that says something like Tottenham from the Lane. Or, we are Tottenham from the Lane. We are Tottenham from the Lane. So that would stay up there, a bit like the fixed Bill Nicholson banner that we've got on Paxton. So we've been facilitating their negotiations with Wembley and the club. Um, hopefully they're getting somewhere. I mean, it has been a bit of a, a testing time. At first, we were told no poles over a metre. Uh, all had to be plastic. Um, no flags over 2.5 metres, but we're you know, be beating them down. So we're quite hopeful they'll have some flexibility there to make that a little bit more workable is, for the is lads. Is that Wembley or the club? That's Wembley, because yeah. Tottenham themselves are having to try and bend Wembley's rules to get their stuff in. Um, but we'll obviously hark back to the glory days of the League Cup final against Chelsea when I was there at six in the morning laying out 30,000 flags and our flags were pissing tiny. <laughs> the Chelsea lot at the other end of the stadium had obviously got there earlier, obviously were more organised, obviously had flags that were at least three times the size. So that was slightly embarrassing. So the fact that Chelsea managed to get in 30,000 flags that were at least two metres, two and a half metres on poles. It's what Robin 
the mineral wealth exactly. of the nation will get you though, isn't it? Absolutely you know, so. right. Well, there's also the pushback, isn't it, as well? And I think that that's where you know we hope to have a bit of an influence as well. Yeah. I think that mo most football clubs, I don't think it's just Spurs, will just say, okay, what can we do? And they'll be told what they can do, and they go, that's fine. Um, if we say, well, actually, we're not that happy with that uh, because we've heard from our fans that they want to do something different, then it's our job to kind of gently and sometimes not quite so gently bang the club over the head and say, go back in and see if we can get us a better deal. Um, and again, you know, we can't force them to do that. But I think we've got to the situation where they know that we want to do it for the right reasons. And actually, to give the club credit, they do want to create a decent atmosphere in the game. And part of the, you know, the ironic thing that went around the £30 uh, away ticket price cap last year was that the argument that the fan groups used and that in the end got the kind of purchase, if you like, with the Premier League and the football clubs is that we said that, you know, we're part of the spectacle that you're selling. You know, passionate fans in stadiums, the interplay between home and away fans is what sells and gets you the money from the TV contracts. And you need to keep that going as well. So in a way, that kind of goes against the grain because I don't like to think of myself as part of a product at all. I'm a football fan. I'm going to go and see my team. But, you know, we kind of played that game in order to get a decent deal for the fans. And I think the stuff with, with the atmosphere becomes the same. And I think, you know, Kat's point earlier is absolutely right that it's trying to get that balance that a, a lot of people kind of is, well you almost do the kind of it's health and safety gone mad gov you know why are there all these regulations but the fact is that there are a lot more regulations and you can't just kind of spray a bed sheet like you used to when I started going in the 70s and take it into a ground whether you like it or not you can't do that but equally we don't need to be this kind of completely corporate organised big waivers that they've got mm. on Stanford Bridge and, and no no I have well. already told yeah. the club that if they ever ever <clears> ever try to bring out those enormous flags oh, like behind the their goal. Yeah. Oh, well, no, that's it. That, that's just but, but the what, end. What people want in the end is that they, they want it, you know, we would prefer it to be completely spontaneous and unorganised. But the, 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 the interesting thing about all this stuff is the stuff that looks looks really, really unorganised is actually really organised. And the, the thing that I suppose sparked it recently was Dortmund, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Dortmund fans as last year. And people always bring up, the, well, how did they get in that anti-UEFA banner? Well, you know what? They used their ingenuity and they got it in, but I bet they didn't have an official discussion with the club and do a podcast about it. <laughs> I think they probably just got on with it, didn't they, as well? So you draw your own conclusions from that, can't you? I, I think at the same time as well, like if you, if you consider the culture in somewhere like Germany, mm. of course. these guys do this yeah. week in, week out, they're well-versed in yeah, yeah. you know, how to... Yeah. Yes. But it, it, what might look like chaos probably is quite heavily organised yeah, yeah. as well. It's quite right? Yeah, well, exactly. you, you just look at the drum. I mean, you know, there's been a debate over the drum at Spurs for ages, but basically the drum played one, maybe two things. The, the, the Germans, and it's almost like it's kind of, you know, the Prussian sort of marching movement history, but they had, they had some tunes, didn't they? You know, what do you want to call it tunes? But I mean, there's a lot of different Beats. rhythms that were going on uh, in, in that end. But they've also got people up in the front conducting it. Now, English friends don't want to do that. And I, that, that's not our thing. You'd I just get to fuck off, wouldn't you? Yeah, really? absolutely. Like, you imagine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, so different things. But that was an interesting argument because people were saying we need a bit more of what Dortmund brought. But then people were saying, yeah, but then we've got our own culture as well. And it's like, well, yeah, we have, but we need to do something in order to generate that. And cool, you know, we're, we're about singing, but, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with a bit of the visual side of it as well. No, I think most terrorist culture has been completely diluted with the birth of the Premier League anyway. So yeah. it's about trying to get back to that or maybe even yeah. find a new tradition. So The only thing is be careful. I don't know if you guys saw uh, what happened in, I think it's in the Champions League qualifiers between... Two Bucharest clubs. God. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I yeah. Stowe Bucharest, and I, I'm not sure who the other team is. I'm, I apologise. Uh, oh, that's right. The Tifo was for the other team, wasn't it? Snuck in like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, one of those. So, it'd be like the Arsenal fans <coughs> masquerading as cleaners, going in, changing the Tifo so that when the Spurs fans hold it up, it says, you know, like, come on, you gooners, or something it's like amazing. that. It's amazing. It's essentially what they did. So, <laughs> 
if we do have anything like that in store, yeah. please just make sure you give it a little look. Fantastic. Yeah, Fantastic. We'd never Fantastic. Can you imagine? That's so the sort of thing. Showpiece, game at Wembley. Brilliant. Yeah. Spurs, and we hold up a big Arsenal flag or something. <laughs> well, so I'm, a dog, so I'm not a big Tifo fan anyway, so but people tell me I'm a miserable git over there as well. So, But see, the funny thing about that is, is I remember there's an argument going on a few weeks ago, people saying, it's all this stuff is too organised. Look at what they do at Benfica. I said, yeah, it's funny how they did that Tifo. Well, they all turned up with a bit of card, and it just happened to make this massive picture. So <laughs> <laughs> only randomly, you know. All in the right place. You know. So Monaco is going to be. Are you going, Jack? Yeah, yeah. Monaco is going to be good. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a new experience for all of us. And you know, the club have done well in designating a home end, although that sold out so quickly that it will be mainly season ticket holders in that end. So everyone makes some noise, and let's just see where we get to, really. And if you've got flags, bring them, basically. All right. Speaking of making noise. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a big new thing being built on the side of White Hart Lane. If anyone's uh, missed it this season, um, how's it? It's new stadium, basically. I don't know why I've tried to introduce that. Like, I, I, I thought you meant the, the, the new standalone toilet. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. I'm a bit stabby at the moment because I'm sat next to the hole, so it's not the best experience I've ever had at White Hart Lane. No. Getting wet at Palace and there's no roof and. They're giving us ponchos, though, apparently, so really? that'll be exciting. Do you think yeah. there'll be little branded ponchos? Well, I think they should have been called Ponchatinos and have Maurizio Way. on the front. That's great. That's my bit of marketing. <laughs> You've wasted a golden tweet there. Haven't I just, mate? Exactly. Well, she's um, used it before. We are yeah. due, oh, okay. We're due with the club on the 19th of September. That's our next set-piece board-to-board meeting, and that's when we'll have an update on the building work. Um, I mean, as the webcams are, webcams are up and running now, so... Everyone who watches that kind of thing is probably as much abreast of it as we are. We haven't heard of any major delays. That's probably the most important thing, mm-hmm. which is great. Uh, there was a planning app that went in to move the ticketing windows over to the Northern Terrace. That went yeah. in about a month or so ago, didn't yeah. it? Uh, but everything seems to be going according to plan, to be honest. But we'll get our next update on the 19th. Dare I ask, safe standing? Sort of- uh, so, safe standing is an interesting one. What, what the club have said uh, in the past is that... Um, that their understanding of the legislation is that safe standing areas are not allowed. Um, so obviously, when they were going through the planning permission, they couldn't they couldn't uh, go for that. But they they what they said to us is that the stadium design means that should the law change, uh, they can change a section of the stadium to a safe standing section, and they would be willing to do that as well. Now there's discussion going on at the moment uh, in the in the kind of wider national campaign on safe standing about exactly what the legislation means, and there's possibly that there's 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 a slightly different approach that's being looked at. But there's kind of discussions going on with some of the, the government departments and the national supporters organisations about that, and the Premier League as well. So that may mean that we can do something a bit sooner. And I think our position as a trust is that it's something that fans obviously want. Um, as soon as the club can do it, we want them to to go ahead with it. I think probably. I don't know, you know, at risk of speaking for the club, if they're able to do something, which doesn't mean that they have to convert, but they can do it right from the start, it's got to be cheaper and more practical, and that's it. Dare I say it, though, I do get the impression from the outside that the club aren't... Because there's been a few clubs that have come out and said they're they're all for safe standing, whereas with Spurs, I, I almost get the impression that, like, they'll go along with it, but they're not overly eager to push for it. Donna gave us a really nice quote about two years ago now that on our website, the executive director at Tottenham Hotspur, they are they are pro. I think the issue's always been that they were concerned that the, the planning applications, you know, had to go through and had to go through smoothly. 
and anything that controversial being you know ticking ahead of the parapet and being the you know forerunner of, of a demand for it in the Premier League might rock a few boats. Now that's kind of gone, so we're looking for them to push things on. So you know, uh, we obviously talk to them about it a lot. So there's ongoing dialogue. Whether or not they'll take a public position immediately, I don't know. I mean, the, the, we'll the, the big issue is is around. You know, I think a few fan groups said a few years ago that uh, obviously the expectation is that tickets would be a bit cheaper as well, rather than charging. It's a premium experience mm-hmm. as well. The, the, the model that's being looked at, and it, it's, it's it's rail seating rather than safe standing. So, I mean, that's another thing to get out there actually as well. That it's not back to the terraces. Um, it is, it, and if you look at what they've got at Parkhead at uh, at Celtic, that you're still going to have a numbered seat. But it's it's a it's a rail seat which flips back, and then you've got everybody can stand up in that area as well. And again, you know, you can't go in or out of that area. That's that's kind of sectioned off at Parkhead as well, isn't it? We yeah. know that. Um, I think there's a few clubs going up to, to to have a look at that and see what's going on as well. I think you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Be aware that they've removed 4,000 seats from the northeast corner at White Hart Lane this season to sink that core into that that side of the, the northeast part of White Hart Lane. What that had meant was that up to 1,800 season ticket holders who traditionally sit in Paxton Road which, for listeners who don't know, is the family stand. So Paxton Road, culturally, is probably one of your more sedate stands at White Hart Lane, let's put it that way. It's where you go to sit and, and watch and, you know, be engrossed in the game. Um, they've moved them over to perhaps the loudest, uh, <laughs> most rowdy stand that we have, which is called the Park Lane, and they've moved them into the Park Lane lower. Um, we have had more than just a few emails from disgruntled Paxton season ticket holders who are now dislocated and relocated in Park Lane Lower, mainly around the fact that they don't want to stand throughout the entire game because there is a lot of standing that goes on in Park Lane Lower. They can't see. uh, You know, if they sit down, everyone else is standing around them. And what I think that's really drummed home to us and hopefully has also drummed home to the club is that safe standing, rail seating, a standing area is not just about a choice to stand. 
It's about a choice for other people to sit. So I may not want to stand in a safe standing area. I might want to sit and watch the game. But by letting the people who want to stand, stand in an area that's completely risk free, which it isn't at the moment, you know, toppling over, you know, if you're all standing and the seats only come up to you, you know, calves or whatever, um, it gives other people the chance to sit down. So I think that's important. And hopefully that lesson is being learned as we talk at Tottenham now. I think it's it's fairly important point. And I think I think on the, the you know obviously pricing is something we'll, we'll discuss with them when when it gets when or if it gets to that stage as well. And because you, you know you obviously get more people in. I think I think the measure at the moment is you can get one point five fans yes, in, in in a row seating area for every one fan as well. So you've got a bit of a, a chance to bring the prices down in that section, maintain their level of income, which they'll obviously be, be looking at doing overall in terms of paying off the stadium as well, but giving people the chance to go in there. And as Kat said, it's, it's about the choice to, to stand and about the choice to sit as well. And West Ham are really learning that at the moment. Absolutely. Because there's chaos over the Olympic Stadium. Yeah, it's a horror yeah. show. But look, fans are actually punching each other and yeah. the stewards being, I think they had 40 assaults on stewards yeah, yeah. in two yeah, matches yeah. because of people wanting to stand and people wanting to sit. What, and it's that it's, basic. And it's West Ham. Well, that's an interesting one for them because they spent, and uh, uh, see, their owners were quite clever because they spent a lot of time going, look, we've got one over on Spurs. What a great new stadium. Now they've got into the stadium, they're starting to realise that maybe if they'd have had a supporters group, they were saying, well, actually, we're interested in our experience in there, rather than getting one over on somebody else, it might have been a little bit better. I mean, what, what going back to the wider question of the stadium is, is that we, what is encouraging so far, and hopefully it's not famous last words, but the clubs seem to be looking at what's gone wrong with some of the other stadiums as well. So they've looked at some of the kind of soulless bowls and... Uh, you know the, the issues with yeah. kind of you know standing and you know where you kind of put people and the fact that different stands have different personalities and they seem to be trying to take that on board. So the fact that they're looking at this seventeen thousand seater at the moment um, home end, the fact that they that they said to the stadium designers we want the stands to be close to the pitch, we want the fans to be close in as well. And every kind of discussion we're having with them, and even down to some of the detail about how they're relocating a ticket office on the on the North Terrace and what they're going to be doing with that. They seem to be trying to say, we want this to be a unique stadium with a particular character. We want it to have a personality as well. And they're doing their research. I mean, there. they're yeah. sending their staff around every blinking stadium in the globe, more oh, or less, to do their research. Yeah. So. I guess just on a, on a closing one on this one, just as a, a quick thing, do you know, have there been any conversations yet about the closing of White Hart Lane as it is now, because we, you know, we all saw the scenes at Upton Park when that went, taxi cabs going onto the pitch and all this kind of thing. <laughs> but will there be much consultation from the club? I, as I, to... I think somebody on Twitter, and we had a kind of informal conversation, yeah. didn't we, with somebody at the club? Somebody on Twitter said, um, "Look at what West Ham did and don't do that." And I think <laughs> I think that message has been fairly firmly taken on board as well. Um, the, the suggestion I quite liked, and you know, probably they won't go ahead with it, but uh, somebody said just uh, at the end of the last game. Just turn the floodlights off and let it get quiet for it and let us do our own thing for about 15 minutes and remember it and sing. Well, we move, our, we'll we'll move our seats before we'll they sell them seats. back to us yeah. for 60 quid <laughs> in, in a box I, of I, I Get your square return. We get the impression now. that yeah. they are going to mark it, but they know that they, they, it's easy yeah. to I think it's, it up if I can say that. I think and, it's uh, important to stress that. that the club's mindset is probably very different from the fans' mindset on this as well because the club's mindset is that we're not leaving. We're moving away for a season, maybe two, hopefully a season, uh, and we're coming back. They don't see it as a departure yeah. because they're making the effort to build the stadium over the top of, of the, the existing stadium. And they've got a point. It's not like we're going to a completely new site and we're never going back to N17 again. But that's their mindset. Whereas as a fan, 
our mindset is worth saying goodbye to our beloved stadium. It doesn't matter that a new glossy, shiny one is going to be there in a, a 18 months mm. later down the line. It's still bye to White Hart Lane. So I think that's a piece of work that we need to do because that's where they are and that's where we are at the moment. Yeah, we're going to keep pushing that. And I mean, you know, it, 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 we, we, it won't be made... Uh, we can't, we can't make it clearer. That's what I'm no, no, we can't. We can't make it clearer. To the club yeah. is that the fans think you know our attitude is that's our stadium. It's something that we are going to be saying goodbye to. Whether something new, you know, grows up very, very close to it, it's still going to be different. Yeah, exactly. But to answer your question, in uh, the last few board-to-board meetings, uh, Donna Cullen, the executive director, has referenced a committee that's in place to commemorate the final season at White Hart Lane and to commemorate the final game at White Hart Lane. So with great pleasure, I will revisit that on the 19th of September and find out what the plans are for the final season at White Hart Lane and the final game at White Hart Lane. I guess just then uh, in closing, guys, because I don't want to keep you too much longer, um, for all those who you know who may still be listening to this perfectly reasonable and uh, <laughs> rational and forthright, account you've given of yourselves this evening who still feel that you know you're not doing enough and uh, you know who forget that you guys are volunteering your time to do this so on and so forth um how can they get involved all these people that feel they can do better who oh absolutely have to take to twitter with their ire and their venom how can they get involved so first of all go to our website which is www.thstofficial.com um on there under the membership tab uh, it will take you through and show you how you can sign up. So become a member, first of all. You can become an associate member for absolutely nothing. It won't even cost you a biscuit. Squat diddly. Or you can become a full member, which is £10 for adults a year or £5 for concessions. So if you are a full member, so you're paying us the, the £10 to keep, sustain our organisation and keep us going, then you receive monthly newsletters, access to all our surveys, invites to our meetings, and priority for about all the events that we organise as well, etc., etc. You also have the right to vote and to stand in an election. And we have a democratic election every February, so any full member can stick the name in the hat, they can be they can stand for election, write a little manifesto, turn up to the AGM, and they can be voted in, basically, or not voted in, or they can vote us off if they don't, if they don't like what we're doing. That's kind of how you get involved, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's more or less it. And on Twitter, we're at THSD official. That's where to uh, send all the hate. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, what we'll always try and do. I mean, it's, you know, you mentioned we're volunteers as well. You know, we we don't do it for the for the thanks. But I think the one thing we would love people to realise is that if we don't get back to people straight away, and I think we've got a pretty good record of we get back to pretty much everybody at some stage as well. But we've got day jobs, we've got other things that we do, other commitments as well. And um, we do it because we think it's important, because we think it matters. But also, you know, we're fans too, and we like going have a beer with mates and watching the game. So. Nothing special, really. Good stuff. All right, thanks so much, guys, and uh, have a lovely evening. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you very much, Kat and Martin, for your lies, for your insidious lies. Um, But yeah, honestly, on a a, a, a joke aside, don't give the trust any shit. They work really hard. So let's talk about transfers. Let's let's yeah, let's do that. Um, I'm a bit. I'm a bit. I'm a. I'm a bit concerned, mate. It seems to be going quite well. You know, start of the summer, we brought in Wanyama, a player who I've banged the drum for for the past probably three years of us recording this. We finally got him. Brought in another striker, but 
past few days, I mean, Ben Taleb has been, is kind of, you know, that's, that's been inevitable, hasn't it, for a while. And it's a shame to see him go, but we've, we've gone over that. It's a shame to see him go, but whatever. He's obviously falling out, his attitude, whatever, you know, we don't know. It's not a talent-based move, is it? No, it's no, a, it's not at a, all. The, the club appear to have done what they have done for the right reasons, and you can't really argue with that as, as, um, as fans, because you, you, as good as he is, you can't really, um, you can't really go out of your way to to keep somebody on board who doesn't appear to be um, pulling in the same direction as everyone else. And it doesn't seem to be a problem with him personally. It seems more of an issue with the people he surrounds himself with, which is the most disappointing thing. Um, there are obvious comparisons to sort of Pogba in a slightly smaller sense. I don't expect us to be buying him back for a world record fee anytime soon. Um, but there's there's... What's his name as well? What's the one at Lazio? Ravel Morrison as well, which may be slightly more accurate, but um, I don't think he's as bad as that either. But it's just it's just one of those where it's it's not worked out. It's sort of it's gone a bit sour, and he's he's had to go elsewhere. Um, I really do genuinely wish him the best because I think he's yeah, a, definitely. an astronomical talent. And there is a real talent there, isn't there? Yeah, they've given him the number ten shirt at Schalke, um, so I expect to see him playing playing uh, fairly regularly and, and playing very well. So as long as they keep a smile on his face and, uh, you know, pay him enough so that he can cut enough to the people that are surrounded him and, and, and sponging off him, then uh, they won't have too big, a, too big of an issue on him. Uh, but I reckon I had a, I sent out a, a tweet at the time that said, you know, I'll give it 18 months before they sell him for sort of 25 million um, because I, I don't see him sticking around at Schalke for too long. No, it's... I don't know. It's disappointing, but yeah, what more can we say on it than that? Um, Chadley as well. Chadley's another to go, and I don't know. I'd be int- what, what are your thoughts on that one? First of all, mate. Oh, it's nice that the women of London are getting a rest. Um, <laughs> first and foremost, the women of the Midlands don't know what's what's hit them, uh, both literally and merit- metaphorically. Um, but no, I, I wrote about it earlier when he was. I think he was linked with Swansea. Uh, earlier on in the window and that seemed to make sense to me for around £10 million obviously we, we got 13 for him which is brilliant but um, for £10 million, it's sort of he's at this stage now where he's theoretically entering his prime he's been here for what three seasons three four years, seasons um, so he's he's been here for a fair amount of time He's he did incredibly well to recover from that first year where everyone thought he was a bit of a, a bit of a cheap joke um, because he, he came for almost nothing from the Dutch league and he made himself one of the more impressive sort of role players in the team and sort of embraced his uh, his limited ability and skill set and sort of accentuated that in the best possible way and got a lot of goals and assists um, but his playing time is going to be um, it's going to be shortened by the fact that he's not a first choice anymore he's, he's going to be a substitute or he's going to be a cup player and Fair play to him if he wants to go and get, you know, be a big player at a smaller team because he's perfectly capable of doing that role. I think he's going to be one of West Brom's best players. I yeah, mean. definitely. He'll be he'll be massive there. I think I can see him almost being a sort of an Outovich type player for them. Yeah, know, very like, much so. Uh, he's, 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 he, I think he's really talented. I think, like you say, he, he seemed to come with a fairly limited skill set, but it, he looks to me like the type of player that's really worked his arse off to kind of get to where where he has done and yeah he, I think he, he gave an interview to to 442 where he sort of um discussed 
completely changing his diet and his training regime and everything like that. So he took it very seriously to to sort of make a success of him at the club. And I wouldn't call that a, a failed transfer for for either party um, in terms of him coming to us. Even though you know we we had the strange occurrences of. Tip Sherwood playing him as defensive midfielder and everything. Um, he recovered from that really well. Um, and, you know, he's again much like um, Bentaleb. You, you wish him all the best because he's he sort of, he's come, he's done a job and, and nothing really happened that was untoward with him, uh, on the field at least. Um, and now he can now he can go and make a more of a, a success for himself elsewhere. I think this is sort of, I think we're going to have to come more to terms with this overturning player and sort of when you have a player that isn't a world beat and moving on after a couple of years as we get more successful at the club because I think it's this is the type of transfer that happens more and more because it is a it's it's such a more ruthless place to be in the position we are now compared See, to where we used to be we just can't afford to have them on the books for as long as we used to do yeah I, I do get that and I definitely take that on board and I can reconcile this move a lot more so if it's under the premise that essentially that Chadley has asked to go to be West Brom's main man and we've been decent about it, we've let him go. If it's not for that, if it's a, if it is a case of kind of trimming the fat, I don't get it. I, do, I don't get it, mate. I, I don't get letting Chadley go. A, a, a player to me who is a stronger portion of our kind of our squad, of our backup. I think he is. I think he, he's 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 impactful off the bench. He does score goals and he does pop up with assists. Yeah, and I, I, unless we're replacing him, I do. It concerns me. It does. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, I guess we, we're getting in and Kadu, um, which is probably going to happen again. You know, he's. I, I know there's the argument about proven, unproven, so on and so forth, but. Still, I, I, I don't know. I, I Like I say, I, I can get it. I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to melt down. And I think it's, the thing that's testament to Chadley's time, and I know this, again, this sounds ridiculous, but I think what's testament to Chadley's time with Spurs is when you actually see the reaction to his leaving on Twitter, there, was, there wasn't any good fuck off type things. It was mainly people being either wishing him the best or people kind of not being absolutely gutted and having to go at Spurs for letting him go, but just being a bit kind of like, well, it's a shame to see him go, really, because he's a decent player, you know? And I, I think that's it, right? That's the thing about Chadley is that you're not going to lose sleep over letting him go. Um, and I think you can have a legitimate level of concern about you know, are we going to replace him or not? I think there are some fans that will probably get more sleep now that he's left the area. Yeah, 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 touche. <laughs> but, uh, but he, you know, he's not going to probably make or break our season, but at the same time, it's it's nice to know that you've got, you've got ample backup. But I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, one that's happened today, mate, the one that's really, uh, for, to coin a popular phrase, hit me in the feels... Mr. Ryan Mason. Yeah. It's, and I didn't, I, you know, I kind of, I thought, I, you know, I wasn't overly encouraged with the talk of Mason going. I've, I, I am a big fan of his, um, but I kind of, I realised a, a certain inevitability about him going, but actually seeing it confirmed today, it hit me, it hit me, it really hit me. And I I think it's, I've, I've got a lot of affinity for Mason. Yeah. But it was also like, it's almost like that that little 
our own class of 92, right? We're seeing the ones that have made the grade and the ones that haven't. And it's like that little that little golden dawn, that little that season we had, uh, 14, 15, when, you know, after we'd had all those, that miserable period under Sherwood, that indifferent time under AVB with a load of mercenaries that we had that core of young players and there was that fledgling of hope at felt like Spurs was kind of ours again, that it was coming back. And it's, it was cool, almost like seeing Mason go was like, it was like closing the door on that little bit, you know, it, like with Bentaleb going as well, Mason on it, his way out. It, Kane's the only one that's really left. I mean, I yeah. actually, the, the sentiment in which you've just spoken is um, the same that I used earlier when I, I wrote an article um, about Ryan Mason. I was in the middle of actually writing an article about Ryan Mason leaving and then he left. So I had to do that really annoying thing of going back and having to bloody write it again, essentially, which, you know, wasn't fun. Um, but, you know, it's not like it's a proper job. Um I um, yeah, so I was writing about it in the same way, and I made exactly that point. There was there was that season um, just after Sherwood where the fan base was fractured. Um, to be kind, um, there was sort of a there wasn't too much hope with what Pochettino could do because um, there was a slow start as well. So there was you know still a little bit of argument going on there, and it, it just wasn't a good time to be a Tottenham fan. But there was. A band of Kane, Bentaleb, Mason, and Andros Townsend that were sort of young players that had come through the academy, and with three of them being local as well, they helped bring the football club back together under Pochettino, and and then more than anyone, because if you remember at the time we had the likes of Aaron Lennon and and Adibayor who were rumoured to not be entirely thrilled with the way in which Pochettino ran the club, and and equally back from the manager to them, which is why they shifted on fairly quickly um, and they were some of the first to really buy into completely what he wanted to do with the club and I don't want to paste too much credit on them but I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that that they were the first ones they were you know the ones that helped open this door with Pochettino the fact that Mason was you know such a, a good embodiment of what he wanted the team to do straight out of the bat and and even though we do have players like uh, Ericsson and Lamella and Larice and you know Alderweireld and Vertonghen, even these days that are, are fantastic under Pochettino, there's there's still there's still something extra special about, for rightly or wrongly, players that come through your own academy and on top of that are local um, because it's just a, I guess as a as a fan, there's you you always want to to have that process yourself. Um, and the fact that they've done it just makes it, I think, it easier to relate to them as as footballers and as people. Um, and it's sad to see him go. I think that the last time we we lost a player in this sort of similar manner was was Michael Dawson, um, even more so than Aaron Lennon, perhaps, um, to the same club. Funnily enough, um, sort of a Tottenham home in the hall, um, which I'm not sure they're too happy about um, having to live there. But you know. They'll be all right, I'm guess. Um, but you know, it's it, it is definitely sad on a, on a sentimental um, way. In a footballing sense, as you say, it makes complete and utter sense. Yeah. Um, but in a in as a, as a football fan to see that sort of a player go, it's um, it's always you know a tinge of sadness. It's 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 very possible at exactly the same time to be, you know, 
to be smart enough to know that it was the right decision to make as a football club and, and still at the same time be have, a, have that tinge of sadness as a football fan. It's Those two things aren't mutually exclusive. He came in and stamped on Jack Wilshire as well. I mean, what more you yeah. than that? Yeah, perfect Premier League debut. Yeah, good lad. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's do some questions. Let's have a look. We've got Mark Lynch at Mark underscore Lynch one who asks, am I the only one getting fed up with the continual slating of Ericsson, especially when others have been as bad? Um, I, I had a bit of a giggle when they said that he wanted 150 grand a week. What, in the respect to never going to happen? Just just try to picture that conversation happening behind the doors at Tottenham. It made me mean? laugh. It would just be a case of 150 grand? No. And what's that, for, for, for the month? It, you know, it's just it's not going to happen, is it? Um oh. Just back to to Mark's question. Yeah, I, I am pretty sick of the way Ericsson's been slated. However, what I would say, Mark, for the past three games, he's not been very good. He hasn't been very good. No, it's not just a case that he's been misplaced in your past. It's more that I think the the biggest omission from his game has has been his his just his pressing, his his sort of effort levels have been pretty low and I'm not going to speculate as to whether or not that's because of contract talks or whatever lad might be tired he might just be having a shit few weeks it's not like he's been playing in the Euros or anything so he's not not, not no exactly excuse but, but we don't it, know you know you don't know what's going on but I expect him to kick on so let's yeah. you know give give him give him a break because who are we going to replace him with at the moment <laughs> exactly that's the thing you know I think it's all well and good to kind of you know get annoyed with players like Ericsson, but I think the reality that we live in now at Spurs, and again, this is a point we always make, is that, all right, you want to get rid of Ericsson, but to replace a player of Ericsson's quality, you're going to have to spend Man City, stroke Chelsea, stroke Man United money, which we don't have. We don't have 60... Like, we, you know, we've been linked with Isco all the time. I don't even really want to go into that one, to be honest, because to me it's just... ESA and you know if it happens it happens that'll be great but a player like Isco uh you're looking at you know hundreds of thousands of pounds a week in wages I mean I, I might get completely mugged off and I'm happy to if, if this does if this deal does go through but to me it, it, you know if we're not loaning him if we're going to buy a player like Isco I can't see us buying no, him no neither can I because you're looking at 50 60 million pounds look at Hamas Rodriguez look at how much he costs I think I read that the know. um I think Juventus inquired for him previously and they were quoted 50 million euros, which is something along the lines of 42, 43 million pound. We don't uh, have that to chuck about at players. We just uh, don't. We, we probably do, but as, as a one-off payment, we, we probably do, especially to a club like Real Madrid. There is a scenario that you can imagine where we go... Here's thirty million for him. The rest of them, you know, those payments he still owes on Modric and Bale, just, you know, we'll call it quits. Um, but I think, as you say, the the issue is wages. He's he's going to be coming from 150 easy at a club like Real Madrid, which is maybe their their base wage, and I don't think he's going to be happy signing for 80 grand a week with us. Um, so the only thing I can see if it if it if it is going to happen is a season long loan where he gets to put himself in the market and play in the Champions League with us, and um, and Real Madrid subsidises wages because otherwise it's it's just not, just not happening. Maybe we'll see, eh? um, I will happily sort of, you know, um, be proven wrong for him. Oh, joining Christ, him. yeah, come on. Like, uh, I think it might might put a fair few noses at a joint if he does join and gets paid 150 grand a week because I think there'll be 
a queue at uh, the manager and the chairman's door to get their deals bumped up. Um, and rightly so. Case. Yeah, and yeah. rightly so. Yeah. Um, R. Rose at R. Rose 10 asks us, given the likely lack of squad depth post-window, who is the player we'd miss the most if he got a lengthy injury? I'll say Dembele. Yeah, yeah, the same. We've seen how difficult it's been been without him already, um, and it it get even worse if he's out for longer. So yeah, um, I was I was actually looking at this earlier because of sort of there were a few people wetting the bed over um, how many players we have on our books and and how many we don't and how many we've sold and and all that sort of a business. Um, so you sort of first eleven picks itself, doesn't it? You've got Larice Walker, Alderweire, Alvatong and Rose, Dyer, Dembele, Lamella, Ali, Eriksen, Kane. There's no questions about that. And then if you pick a second eleven, that almost picks itself as well. So you, you Vaughn, Trippier, uh, Cameron Carter Vickers, uh, Kevin Vimmer, Ben Davies, Wanyama. Um, and then there's a hole I've got next to Wanyama there where you can play sort of Winks or Carroll, but that's a position where if we were to be signing anybody, I'd, I'd want an extra player to a Dembele, Dembele alternative, essentially, is what I'd want there. Um, and then you've got Son, um, who doesn't appear to be on anywhere at the moment. Um, I've got a hole at number 10. Um, because I think that's somewhere we need to strengthen as well, which is perhaps where the Isco rumours are coming from. Um, because although sort of the the three that play behind Harry Kane are all number tens in the first team, we've got nobody to really come in and deputise for them there. Um, that's a natural. And then you've got what's his name, Nakudu on the the left wing, who I think, as we've been speaking, Jack has unofficially announced himself as a Tottenham player by posting a picture of Tadaris to do on his Twitter profile. Um, so we'll see if he. Yeah, if he, if he learns to... We've been laughing already saying he's bloody... He's got pictures of himself in the training kit, so it's it's odd that it's not official yet. Um, and then Jansen up front. So if we sign two more players, a, a number 10 and a, and a Dembele alternative in central midfield, I don't think we're actually far off having a proper squad at all. Um, I, I was speaking to you, you this earlier, but I think the size of the squad is comparable to how big the rest of the squads are in, in Europe in, at the biggest clubs nobody's really got a, a squad that's bigger than 25 man Barcelona famously always have one that's sort of 22-23 at the very most and if you look at the amount of people that actually use their players um, throughout it's never never much more than that at all so you know people might appear to have 30 man squads but there's always a player in there that doesn't get a sniff of being at the pitch so I'd rather have 23 players that are all as capable of playing as one as as each other and and almost having defined roles of you know your first choice in this position and this is our first team and and these are the players knocking on the door and then one or two youth players who you know in the sort of Marcus Edwards style who are sort of just one small tier below that who are knocking on the door looking for minutes elsewhere um then have you know a bigger squad of you know, 26, 27 and have people like Chadley on the books who are sort of just going to sit there and not do anything um, because that appears to be what his his role had been reduced to. So um, there's always that. That's the, that's the, that's the flip side of the, uh, of the argument, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I just want us to do all right this year, mate. <laughs> I think we'll be fine. Yeah, um, I think we'll be fine. I think we've not. I think uh, it's it's easy to melt down about it, right? It's easy to look at the squad size to 
get worried about kind of who we're signing, who we haven't signed, who we've let go. But I think you also have to consider, you, you do have to take a bit of a deep breath and just look at our squad and be like, look, it's still fucking quality. We've still got some really, really good players there. We've got a hell of a lot of players that would walk into most other sides in the Premier League, including those who have spent ridiculous amounts of money this summer. Um, and you have to take heart from that. We're still one of the better sides in the league. We are, categorically. We are. Um, so, you know, have a bit of faith. Uh, let's have a look. I don't think there's any more any more questions, really. Um there's more footballing questions. There's a few, but I can't really ask. Sorry, lads. We've already, gone, right. on. We've already gone on for like an hour now. Um, let's have a look. Have you, have you watched any Stranger Things yet, Raj? I'm not as yet. I've heard it's very good, but I've not watched it as yet. I'm slightly put off by people keep comparing it to stuff like uh, E.T. and like early Spielberg and stuff like that. And yeah, this is basically a homage to that. It's like a passage of these that- old things. They're not films that I particularly enjoy, um, so probably won't I, like it then. I'm, I'm maybe, maybe I won't. That's why I've sort of strayed away a little bit more than I would have otherwise. But I've heard it's very good, so I'm, I'm, I'll give it a chance at least with an open mind. But it, it is good, but I feel like it's something that, like now, it could be the victim of its own hype in the respect that, like, it's very good and it is very good. But I've seen people kind of talk about it like it's one of the best things ever, which is not. And because you know when expectations get raised so yeah. much, and you watch something and it. it doesn't live up to that. I don't know. That's kind of what I feel like it might fall into. But it is great. It's True Detective film. Season 2 conundrum. Potentially, yeah. Um, Which, if True Detective Season 1 hadn't happened, Season 2 would have been much better received, in my opinion. Yeah. It, I, you know what? I, I didn't make it all the way through True Detective Season 2. Really? You give up? No, I didn't give up. I just... I, I guess I did give up in the <laughs> respect that... I, you didn't I, finish it. I didn't care enough to, yeah, to pursue it when I, and I had loads of other stuff on. And I still haven't watched Narcos yet, and the uh, second series of that's going to come out. Mm. Um, I've been keeping up with Ray Donovan. The Night of, obviously, is something yeah. that I have found astounding. But I'll let you catch up with that before we go into. Yeah, that I'm one. a couple of weeks behind. I didn't really watch anything on on holiday uh, just because I was binging on weird American television. Uh, the best thing about American television, by the way, Jack, is their, uh, the adverts they have for medicine. Because um, obviously they don't have an... So uh, weird. Yeah, uh, there's this one for like, I can't remember what it was. I think it's like a headache tablet or something like this. It may have been some, something slightly more serious. But the advert sort of like, this is... <laughs> It, it sounds like a joke when I explain it, but it wasn't like it's got that really cheesy sort of stock sunny music in the background. And there's like, a, you know how sort of always adverts are where there's just people getting on with day to day things and they're, go, they're doing this voiceover where explaining they've got something wrong with them. But because they're doing this, there's um, they can get on with their day to day lives. It's like, oh, if you take this, you know, medicine, then, you know, you'll be fine and you'll get away with your things and, you know, and then suddenly it goes really silent and that almost that comedy style, really quick, but really stern voice comes on and goes, please consult your physician. Uh, Side effects can be um, like headaches and diarrhea. And then the last one is suicidal tendencies. And like the first time it happened, like we, we were sat around eating dinner and I looked at my dad and we just started pissing ourselves. And like the next time it came on, I was like, who's got an headache and goes, you know what? I'll take these, but you know what? <laughs> Maybe if I take them for too long, I might fancy topping myself. It just doesn't say, I'll, I'll take the headache. Cheers, mate. I know, right? It's a bit, it's a bit of a bizarre, I, I guess it's maybe just cause it's, it's that 
it's a place where everyone gets sued for everything, isn't it? So but I guess no one's going to sue you if they kill themselves, are they? So maybe shit. their family can. Yeah, true. Actually, medical it's, malpractice. It's a bit worrying, though, isn't it? It's a bit bizarre. It's just, it just, it's just one of those things that you wouldn't get on TV in England. What What films did you watch on the plane? I didn't. I, I explained to you. I uh, I don't enjoy uh, flying particularly, so I tend to sleep. It's the best best time for films though on a plane. Like just stick one on, stick it no, in your ears. I listen to I listen to a lot of Miles Davis and slept is how I get through flights. Put on some big headphones, put my hoodie up, and uh, take some pills and knock myself out for eight hours. Uh, well, I'd I'd say this week, right? If you get the chance, go go and watch War Dogs. I was, I was going to, it's my birthday on Friday, so I wanted to go to the cinema during the day. I, I actually, I want to really want to see uh, Cafe Society. Mm-hmm. I think my family would murder me if I made them go and sit through that. That's one of those films I'm going to have to go and watch with me Todd. Do, would you not want to watch that on a DVD, though? Woody Allen and the Spit? I don't know if it's... If I'd, it's... I'd quite enjoy watching how he shoots films on, on a bigger screen. Um, yeah, fair play. I think it's, uh, maybe it's his first thing that he shot digitally as well, which is quite interesting. Um, it's just it's Jesse Eisenberg though, mate. I, c- I cannot, yeah, but do you I not think Jesse stand him. Do you not, he, do you not think he's the almost perfect person to fill in as young Woody? What a fucking miserable sociopath. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, perhaps, yeah, you got a good point there. Um, and there's, uh, what's her name, Kristen Stewart in it as well, and uh, mm, Blake Lively and, mm, and stuff, so it, it, it could be good, it could be good. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to know your, your takes on War Dogs, though. Um, I enjoy, I'd, I'd say this, I enjoyed it, I think it was a good film. I don't <laughs> it's, think it's, it's the guy who made The Hangover, isn't it? So it I is, really like, yeah. I've got a really soft spot for Jonah Hill. Um, and Miles Teller, actually. He looks really good in that new uh, the, the boxing film that's coming up. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of Miles Teller. He's a good, good actor. Yeah, he seems like a bit of a knob, um, but he seems like he's... he's uh, he, he, I don't think I've ever been too disappointed in any one of his performances. He was obviously in that horrific Fantastic Four film that was... Um, that was, I think, the studio just destroyed. So didn't Josh Trank tweet about how he had a better version of the film that they weren't allowing him to release? <laughs> um, so, you know, if that's, the, that's, that's how studios work, I think. Um, I did see, we went to cinema uh, on our last night in America to see the uh, new Bourne film, which is, which is oh, good. I haven't seen that yet, annoyingly. It's, it's just, you know, Jason Bourne, mate. That's, that's what it is. He does Bourne things. I do like that. That Greengrass is good at that. Like his the, the way he shoots action films is is incredible. It's basically like genre reinventing. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's um yeah. It's really really good. It's sort of as you wanted it. Alicia Vikander's in it, which means that there's some good acting going on. Uh, Julia Stiles and uh, Tommy Lee Jones actually been half decent for the first time in ages just because I think they asked him to be Tommy Lee Jones and sort of not stretch him too much wear a suit and look a bit silly and you've you've done your job mate deliver your lines um, which was you know welcome it's not like him doing Men in Black or something where you can sort of watch him dying inside as he delivers the lines he was he's sort of uh, sort of doing as he as he wants to which is you know fair play to him there's, there's a lot of there's, there's a- Quite a few good films coming out, actually. Um, it's getting to that time of year now, Yeah, mate. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking for this. Hell or High Water um, is one coming out that looks particularly decent that I'm actually really looking forward to. Um, you know, it may be good, it may not be, but, you know, we'll see. Um, Bridget Jones's Baby. Yeah, of course, standard. <laughs> Very much looking forward to that. Um there's another one as well with Alexander Skarsgård. It's directed, it's written and directed by the guy that, fuck, what's his name? 
this is shocking. The guy that wrote and directed Calvary. Oh, Martin Madonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His I said the other Madonna. Uh, War on everyone. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Because the guard um, was brilliant. Calvary. Yes. If if any of you basically, if you haven't seen the guard, and if you haven't seen Calvary, I'm not talking to you guys. I know you have, but anyone listening, if you haven't seen the guard, and you haven't seen Calvary. Watch oh, in or uh, no, in, in was by his brother. And yeah, no, but yeah, they're okay, essentially yeah. the same sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you didn't know there was two of them, they could be making. I, I don't understand why they don't just admit that it's sort of. The same guy. You know, it's Martin McDonough that did the other ones and John Michael that did those ones. Mm. They're both sort of playwrights and stuff as well, weren't they? I mean, even Ned Kelly, I didn't think was that terrible, to be honest. But it's, you know. I really want to see what's the uh, the new film by uh, the guy who did um, Whiplash, Damien Chazelle, La La Land. It's got uh, yeah. Gosling and Emma Stone. If, if you want to get Raj Baines in a film, cast Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. <laughs> I'll fucking turn up. Also, in terms of animated films... Kubo and the Two Strings is supposed to be... I thought you were going to say Sausage Party. I'll I'll probably watch out for the crap. (laughs) Although there's been all those troubling things about the animation studio, the way they've treated their animators, so I kind of do have a bit of an ethical objection to it. Uh, They've just been really shitty not paying animators for their overtime, and then any animators that have complained about that, they've like scratched their names from the credits, so on and so forth, even though they've still done their work. Um, Hadn't they been working on it for like 10 years as well? Yeah, exactly that. Like it's a real kind of laboured, low budget kind of project, I believe. And yeah, they've really worked people to the bone and treated them like shit for it. So I've got a bit of an ethical objection to the film, but let's be honest, I'll still watch it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, Kubo and the Two Strings is is yeah it's supposed to be spectacular. It's supposed to be just absolutely incredible. So is it um, what's it called? Um, what's the um, the guy who did like Princess Kaguya and stuff? Is it is it one of those or is it something else? No, it's by the people that did um, Paranorman. I don't know if you ever saw. No, I didn't see it, but I remember it. Like the animation is, it's, it's very good. Like it, it's CGI, but it's almost made to look like it's stop motion animation. It's uh, there's a very material feel to it, um, almost an imperfect type feel that you don't get from, say, like a Pixar film. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I've seen some really really good things about that. Um, also, want to see. I can't honestly Pete's Dragon as well. That's had some really good. <laughs> Generally, it's had some really good write ups. It's, that sounds uh, like a, a euphemism. I know, right? It does. But yeah, do you not see the old? Do you ever see the old Disney one when you were a kid? Or no, no. I think we, Pete Stragan actually turned up on a uh, on a parade, and me and my sister laughed and said that it was Puff the Magic Dragon because <laughs> um, neither of us had a clue who it was. Um, yeah, I was uh, I was thinking about Studio Ghibli, by the way. Oh yeah, when, they, well uh, they've disbanded, haven't they? They've gone. Is it? Is it? Oh. Yeah, they're done. Um, unfortunately. Um, oh, I saw Lights Out as well. That was oh, they were playing adverts for that when I was in America. That looked fucking stupid. Like, did you watch? Um, did you watch? Um, what's the film I told you to watch? The Vacation. Oh no, you told me to watch the was it? the the visit. The visit. That's I, the one. I, no, I got it though. I haven't watched. I haven't gotten around to watching it yet. I saw the trailer and it looks it looked. Brilliantly abysmal. It's so, absolute dog shit. Yeah, so yeah. I'm quite looking forward to that. I will, I will but, uh, watch it. It, it genuinely, I, I, it makes it still makes me laugh thinking about it. So I do want you and anybody else in the world to please. I think somebody tweeted us and said they'd watched it and it was dog shit. So I, uh, 
I take great pride from that. I'll, I'll tell you what we'll, we'll, what we'll do off air. We'll we'll get our rosters in line and we'll we'll make sure we've got a film or something to talk about next week properly that we can go into. So basically, watch War Dogs, mate. Watch War Dogs. <laughs> we can. All right. Um, if you do want to listen to any of the previous episodes of Rollerist Podcast, you can do I'll so. I advise on listening to the past couple of weeks. I, I, yeah, come on. You know you would. You know you would. No, I, I did enjoy it. Uh, it was. I, I listened to them uh, just before I went to bed. Um, wank bank. Seb's <laughs> <laughs> um, voice does it to me. Yeah. That's it. It's worse. And you see the effect he has on all the ladies at Bath. Yeah, anyway. Just tonight, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, God, it is as well. Um, aubergine emoji question mark listen to previous episodes of Rule the Roost on the Acast player on the iPlayer or at what yeah, BBC you're doing it now fucking hell iTunes <laughs> booze it's gone to my head mate oh mate Bake Off we had to, we'll, we'll leave Bake Off for next week okay it was shite anyway the first episode Val can fuck off that's my hot which take. one's Val the old woman oh, the wittering I just dance and I do wacky oh, yeah. thing oh fuck oh. off yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm su- I'm supporting the brown one, obviously, and Selassie. They're my two. Uh, Sel- yeah, Sel- Selassie. Seems like Selassie is definitely whopping that last that was on the other thing next to him. Hundred percent. He I, straight after the show, they they have to stay in a hotel by the uh, by that tent, and Selassie was knocking on that door at some early hour in the morning. Um, just wearing an apron. Yeah. Yeah. I've come to whiskey or flower. I don't know. <laughs> it's um, time for the technical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good God. I'm surprised there's not been a Bake Off pond yet. Get ready for the cream filling. Um, Soggy bottom. Oh, good God. What are we doing? Right, don't don't listen to any of this. Follow us at RTR. <laughs> don't underscore. listen to any of this. Follow us at RTR underscore pod. Come on, you Spurs. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.